Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. All right. I already asked you to turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to also have you just kind of put your finger in Jeremiah 32 and Jonah chapter 3. Because this morning we're going to talk about the power of prayer. You'll recall that over the last few weeks we have talked about the priority of prayer and the purpose of prayer. And today we're going to talk about the power of prayer. And um, let me just kind of set the tone a little bit before we pray for the time that we have. Um, There are many different directions I could go in this message, okay? And uh, we're going to just really kind of look at this one simple statement that I believe is fundamental to experiencing the power of prayer in our lives, and it's this. A part of the power of prayer comes from recognizing the one that we pray to and who he is, all right? I think that's where it's all rooted. I've noticed people, uh, you know, over the years, you know, do certain things because it, it kind of projects the illusion of power. You know, but really, it's not about what we do, but it's about what he has already done. And we need to be mindful of that. And, 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 and what he has done needs to guide our prayers and feed our prayers and inform our prayers. And that's where our focus will be this morning. So let's pray. Let's open our hearts to receive and uh, ask the Lord for his blessing upon this time. Lord God, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for the things that have already happened in this service. And Lord, now I pray that as we turn to your word, Lord, that we would we would have clear minds and an ability to receive that which you want to give us. Uh, give us ears to hear, Lord God, what you are wanting to speak, and may nothing be missed, but may all things, Lord God, be captured, that we may be strengthened, that we may grow up into the image of who you are, and that we might come to know a power in prayer that can only come from you, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, just says this. Therefore I, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And, and I'm coming to you this morning with a, a bias that I will just put right out there, okay? And it's this. I believe that prayer changes things. I really do. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of other people. So as I talk about the power of prayer, I'm coming from a place of experience that says I've seen the reality of what the Scriptures declare. And I don't believe that's a reality that is given to an exclusive set of people, but rather I believe it's a reality that the Lord wants to see at work in all of His children. So there's power in prayer. That's why we're talking about prayer. It's because I believe that the things that we have to accomplish are not going to be accomplished outside of prayer. Because we're looking for the things that last, the things that remain, the things that are eternal. 
you know, myself and our leadership and, and all of our volunteers and those who serve, we're not looking to construct things that moth and rust and fire will wipe away, but rather we're looking to see the things that glorify God, that change the hearts of men and serve the purposes of eternity. And those things do not happen outside of prayer. So I believe that prayer changes things. It changes your heart. It renews your mind. It builds your faith. It changes circumstances around us. That is the bias that I'm bringing to you today. And, 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 and as uh, I, I read uh, the text that we just looked at, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, let me give you a Pastor Jared unscholarly interpretation of Paul's instructions to young Timothy here, okay? This, when, when I read it, this is kind of what I hear, okay? This is what I hear, and I'm going to share it with you because I think it will kind of, it'll, it'll stir our hearts to receive what we are about to, to look into. I hear Paul saying to Timothy, uh, I don't want you to know enough about prayer to be dangerous, okay? Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a phrase that we hear in our society, and it often is, is um, you know, spoken in terms of accomplishing something, like maybe you're, you've got a, a remodel project going on at your house and it requires some electrical work or carpentry work or whatever. And someone says, well, hey, do you know how to do that? And you say, well, I know enough to be dangerous. Which, which basically means I, I, I know enough to not get myself killed, but I might hurt myself in the process. Right? Okay, so what, what, what I hear Paul saying to Timothy is I don't want you to just know enough about prayer to be dangerous but rather I want you to know the power of prayer so you become dangerous. You see, that's why you know, we're interceding for things during communion today. You know, like this week was heavy for me. I just, just day after day, I'm taking phone calls from some of our churches around the nation, and, and they're like, we are in trouble. We, we, we need prayer. We need help. We need counsel. And, 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 you know, I, 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 I take in the, the, the report and the news of what is going on, but I don't respond out of fear or a lack of faith because I know that the sharing of what is happening rallies the saints to the place where prayer will happen, intercessions will be made, and the work of God will be advanced. So there's a, there's, there's a power in prayer that makes us dangerous. You know, I think that some of us need to realize this. It's because there's a, there's a tendency and a temptation to not share the challenges that we are going through. We like to hold them to ourselves. We like to try to walk through it solo. And you know what? When, when we do that, you know, we are limiting the prayers that are being offered up on our behalf. I don't want us to know enough about prayer to be dangerous. I want us to know the power of prayer so that we are dangerous. And I think that Timothy is reminding us in this text that that is the reason why he says, I exhort first of all. First of all. In other words, this is priority number one. That all prayers and intercessions and supplications be made. And as we unpack this, we are going to, we're going to look at at least one attribute of God, and if we have time, we'll look at two. And these are attributes of God that remind us of who He is. 
so that we can, can, can experience a power in our prayers that is not rooted in us, but rather in him, okay? The first attribute that I want to look at today is this. It's the sovereignty of God. And I just want to say this. I don't want to lose you. I think some of you just had a, a thought in your mind that just said, okay, I, I, I didn't know I was coming to a theology class today. All right? And, 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 and we're not going to do a deep dive into the sovereignty of God. We're going we're gonna to take a look at it so that we can understand what it means and, and we can comprehend why it should motivate us to pray. Because I've heard recently and in times past, people talk about God in a way that motivates them to not pray, specifically as it relates to his sovereignty. There is a mindset out there that just kind of says, well, God is in charge. He's written a script. We're all actors in this production. Nothing can change. The outcome has been predetermined. You know, there, there, there's a, a, a school of, of, of thinking in that way within the church. And probably within this room, many of us would say, I don't subscribe to that view, but I, I want to say to you today that there are, there are watered-down variations of that that can creep into our lives. Because I've... I've just heard too many reports and too many responses from, from believers recently that, 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 that come from situations that are challenging and difficult. And instead of responding in prayer, there's this response of hopelessness. Like the outcome has already been determined and there's no point in me interceding about this. And that produces a quandary. Because if we're believing that, that the script has already been written and the outcome has already been determined, you know, we don't have a choice, which is contrary to what the Scripture would tell us. And then why in the world would we be motivated to pray or to share the gospel or to serve? So we have got to eliminate this, this, this idea concerning the sovereignty of God that He's just a puppet master and I'm just a marionette in the show. Because that position or variations of it produce inaction, fatalism, a, a disengaged mindset. Uh, they, they see no point in hoping, believing, or praying for something better. And there's this dichotomy that happens in that Christians find themselves in a place where they have a high view of God and believing that He is all-powerful, but yet they're robbed of having hope in Him because of the way they're interpreting the circumstances around them. And I don't believe that's where God wants His people to live. I want you to know today that we can trust the sovereignty of God. We can trust it. And in fact, it should frame the way that we view and the way that we respond to the world around us. And after having said all of that, some of you might be saying, well, what in the world does the sovereignty of God even mean? Let me give you a, a, a quick and a basic definition. It means this. 
It just simply means that God has supreme reign. Supreme reign of the universe. In other words, that he has supreme power and authority. Supreme power and authority over all things. And as we try to to grasp what that means and how it needs to be incorporated into our lives, I I'm going to just kind of give you the lens that we need to view God's sovereignty through, okay? Some see it as a reason to disengage and to not have hope. But as believers, we need to view God's sovereignty through the lens of His authority, through redemption, and through stewardship, And in doing so, we gain this well-rounded view of who God is and what He has asked us to do in this life while we're waiting for His return. All right, so let's, let's begin to look at this. Are you with me? Okay. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 32. I'm going to read... Uh, a few verses there, and, and, and let me just give you a warning. I'm going to read them, and you're going to go, where in the world is he going with this? Okay? And that's okay. Just, just hang with me. Give me a chance to uh, explain what's going on here, and I believe that it's going to um, just give us a view of God that is going to empower our prayers as we learn who he is and what he has done. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 8 through 11. While you're turning there, I'm going to, 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 to go ahead and read it. Then uh, Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. In the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance, I want you to key in on that phrase, is yours, and the, and the redemption, or as we could say, the right of redemption, key in on that, is yours, buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was a word from the Lord. So I bought the field from, from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So remember, sealed deed. So I took the purchased deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. So we have a sealed and an open deed. We have the right of inheritance and the right of redemption. And let me unpack this for you, and I'm going to do it in a way that takes into account historically what is going on here, but then we're going to uh, take a look at it messianically through what Jesus did and how uh, those words of Jeremiah speak and apply to us today, all right? So just hang with me. It's going to make sense. I know right now, as I already warned you, you're saying, where in the world are we going with this? Let me just give you one little unique factoid about that section that we just read. It's one of the longer recorded business transactions in the scripture. Okay, that's kind of a neat little little thing. All right? So, reviewing God's uh, sovereignty through his authority, through redemption, and through stewardship. 
and how they empower us to understand him and how they empower our prayers. Jeremiah 32, what is it saying to us? Well, historically what had happened here, we know that you know, Jeremiah is imprisoned and a, a, a family member comes to him, right? And why is that family member coming to him? So you all were wondering what was going on here. Now you're going to get into it. The family member came to Jeremiah because for some reason, at some point, uh, Jeremiah's family sold the farm. All right, They owned a piece of property, whether it, uh, there be um, a, a debt that had to get paid off or maybe a death took place or whatever. Another family member bought that piece of property. And uh, now the family member who is, uh, has uh, ownership and stewardship of it is coming back to Jeremiah and he's saying, I want you to buy it back according to what our laws and what our customs say to us. And there's kind of a twofold process, all right, that is underway there. And that process involves rights and deeds. Rights and deeds. And the first thing that we see mentioned is uh, the right of inheritance. So here's the right of inheritance written out. And it just simply says that at some point in time, the property is going to go back to the person who originally owned it. And uh, under normal circumstances, it would be going back to the firstborn son. And that's the, the office that Jeremiah occupied. That's why the family member is having conversation with him. There was the right of inheritance. The land was to go back to the original owner. But then there was also the right of redemption, Okay, which is why there was silver and a monetary value put on it and an exchange or a transaction took place. And it was, it was the original family redeeming back to themselves the property that had been sold away. Okay, so historically, this is the legal context of what Jeremiah is dealing with. But then there are deeds. There is a sealed deed. Okay, And a sealed deed would have been a scroll that was rolled up. There would have been a wax seal put on it with a, with a signet ring pressed into the seal. And what that deed declared was who the original owner was. And the purpose for it was this. It was to create a historical account of who owned it first that was untampered with. That was the reason for the seal. So even though Jeremiah's family didn't own the property, they would have still had in their possession this document that said, this was ours. Even though we sold it away, we were the original owners. But then there's an open deed, and an open deed is not sealed. It is kind of a growing document. It is a, a document that kind of states, okay, a chain of possession in other words, the first line on it would have said, this field belonged to Jeremiah's family, and then it would, have de- it would have documented who bought it, and then if there was another transaction, who would have bought it after that? And it just kind of gave a chain of possession, a historical account of all the transactions that had happened for that piece of property. Okay, That's the historical side of what we just saw Jeremiah undertaking and being a part of. And you might say, what in the world is going on here, right? Let me say this. 
the reason for that process was obviously for legal documentation, but many scholars say that the reason for that process was also to give hope and promise to the people because the Lord knew in establishing this in the law that one day there would be an exile and the people would need to come back. And through this process, there is a, a point being made to the children of Israel, you will one day possess the land again. So that's kind of cool. But let's look at this, not only historically, but let's look at it through Jesus and what he did, through Messiah. Because there's a type and a shadow here of what Jesus accomplished. God created the heavens and the earth. They were created through him and for him, Colossians says. He was the one who has possession of the sealed deed. For the heavens and the earth and for all of mankind, God, he has this. Okay. But there is an, there is an open deed that kind of explains a chain of possession that happened. Because God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, had a sealed deed for everything, and, and then Adam and Eve were given the open deed to the earth. In other words, God was saying, I want you to be steward. I want to share this with you. I want you to, to, to have a role to play in this creation that I have made for you. And we know from the Bible that that did not go well because they lost it to Satan in the garden. So the, the open deed says, you know, God, the original creator, gives authority and possession to Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve, they, uh, they, they, they sin in the garden as Satan tempts them. And, and that open deed is then transferred to him. And it's interesting to me, and this is a supporting point to this, that when Satan tempts Jesus... Right before his ministry begins, Satan says to Jesus, all kingdoms have been given to me. And you know what? Jesus doesn't correct him. That's because at that point on the open deed, that was a true statement. It was a true statement. But then here's the sovereignty of God at work in in the most powerful and beautiful way. God sees that. He sees the breakdown that happens. He sees sin ruin his creation. He sees mankind lost. And and, and, and even within the garden, he says, it's not going to stay this way because there's going to be a day where the heel of of me is going to be bruised, but I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus, as the firstborn son, had the right of redemption. And on the cross, there was, there was not just the, the shedding of blood for our personal sins that we might be able to, to, to be forgiven, but there was a transaction that was taking place that was setting things right. We were going back to the way God always wanted it to be. Where God's power was and authority was established. And where... 
redemption was made available and stewardship was given back to the children of God. So Jesus is the fulfillment of this right of redemption that we see in Jeremiah 32. He had the right of inheritance because he was the firstborn, and on the cross he paid it all. He exercised his option to redeem what had been lost, and he bought it back with his blood. And now I want you to see just a a picture that shows the result of this. Revelation chapter 5. Because this transaction was final. Let me read it for you. This is John speaking. He says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. What is this telling us? At the right hand of God, there is a scroll or a deed. The right hand is a symbol of power and authority. And and written on this scroll is God's redemptive plan. God's last will and testament, if you will. And a strong angel says, who is worthy? The answer is no one. So John weeps, but then the elder declares, look, there is one. He is the firstborn. His sacrifice has been sufficient, so redemption will take place because his blood has been spilled. The sacrifice has been declared worthy, and he paid the price for everything. And because of that, those who are with him can know his redemption and can walk in his authority and power. And when we look at the sovereignty of God as something that helps us to understand who he is, It motivates us to pray. Because when we pray to God in heaven, we pray to the one who has all authority. We pray to the one who has redeemed us. We pray to the one who has entrusted us again to be stewards in this life with the things that he wants to accomplish. There's an invitation. And when I think on those things and I see the things going on around me, I do not respond in hopelessness, but rather I'm reminded of who God is. And that is why the sovereignty of God motivates us to pray. Because when we remember who God is,
we experience a power in prayer that can only come from Him. So church, we've been given charge. There are things that we have been called to steward and to implement. And they are the things that Jesus released through His life and His death and His resurrection. When I saw that today, I just saw that as something that puts the challenges of life into perspective. Because I hear too many believers responding in hopelessness when life brings difficulty. And even to some shade, almost just kind of blaming it on God. When in reality, as we face those things, we should face them in light of who He is and what He has called us to be a part of. Let your prayers be empowered because God is all-powerful. As we were in prayer this morning, I just kind of heard a whisper in my ear. I'm going to just kind of take a moment to share it, and I, I trust that it will find application for some, maybe if not all of us. I just kind of felt the Lord instructing me to pray that this would be a moment of, of clarity for all of us. And not only a moment of clarity in, in understanding what, what Christ has done, and why he needed to do it, and what he did made available to us, but something that would speak to the moments of clarity that we have in our lives. Because, you know, we all have times in our journey where, you know, things are going on, and maybe we feel a little bit carried or swept away by them, and, and then we, we just have time with the Lord, and, and we see things more clearly. We we, we, we see things more accurately. They're, they're put into perspective. And oftentimes in those moments, you know, what transpires in us is a call to action. You know, it, 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 it's a call to, to move maybe more deeply into something or to turn away from something else or, you know, to follow up on something that's been going on, you know, in, in, in a way that you know, just glorifies God and is consistent with his word. And we, we, we have these moments of clarity where these things come to us and we, we kind of rally and we get excited and, and we begin to make plans. And, 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 and then it's almost like that moment goes as quickly as it came. And we begin just to retreat back into the familiar. Because how many of you know that when God calls you into a new thing, it's a new thing? Or when he calls you into something deeper, it's taking you to a place that you've not gone before. So there, there's always kind of this uncertainty and not knowing you know, all that we would want to know. And sometimes because of that, we, we take a step back. The, the, the things that we heard, they, they feel impossible. And I just want to remind you this morning that in him all things are possible. 
And that in those moments of clarity, when, when you hear that still, small voice of the Lord speaking to you in a way that just kind of lifts the veil and calls you into something new or into something deeper, do not fear. Because oftentimes we size things up through what we feel capable of when in reality we need to trust that the one who is calling us into is going to be the Lord over the newness and the implementation and the process of us seeing its benefit and reward. And be reminded today that the one who is shepherding you in that way is the sovereign God who sits in supreme authority over all things. And he will finish the work that he wants to do in you. But we have got to follow and trust and obey. So I hope that as we look at it through that lens, this idea of God's sovereignty isn't just a a crusty chapter and a theology book that we don't have any care of looking at. Because if we live there and we don't understand who we are praying to, it will affect the way that we pray. There's a power in prayer that comes from understanding the one that we pray to. So let your view of God be elevated today. You know, let those definitions expand today. Take God out of the box today. You know, God has never liked to stay in boxes. You know? There was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was like, okay, for a little bit of time, all right, uh, this will do in a temple. You know, but they knew the cross was coming. <laughs> they knew the cross was coming. So God he wants to be unchained, unboxed, and unfettered. So let's not have a view of him that just limits him and waters him down and turns him into something that he isn't. Amen? Well, we were going to talk about the immutability of God. Maybe we'll do that next week. Maybe we'll start there, okay? Just to, just to prime the pump a little bit. And um, why don't you stand with me? I want to honor your time. So the scripture brings us another way of looking at the gospel. God created the heavens and the earth and there was a sealed deed, right? God also created an open deed and it said, Adam and Eve, look at what I've created. I've given it to you. I want you to be a part of it. I invite you in. I want you to be a steward of the things I created. But they gave up the farm when they sinned. And, and, and for a period of time, because sin was in the world, <laughs> you know, there was a, a bottom line on that open deed that said Adam and Eve gave away what God gave them to Satan. But then Jesus came. And he said, you know what, Satan, you're not going to get to keep the farm. Because my father, 
my father's, my father's got the sealed deed. And the deed that's open, my name is about to be the next name on the list. And because of my sacrifice on the cross, I'm making available to everyone the right of inheritance and the right of redemption. And I'm inviting them in to be a part of this great plan that God has made. And you know what? When they become a part of it, (laughs) they're going to know the power of redemption because of the gospel. But they're also going to exercise stewardship in this world. And that while they're waiting for me to come again to establish a new heaven and a new earth, you know what? They're going to do what I did. And they're going to confront your work every step of the way. The sovereignty of God. He didn't leave us where we were at. He exercised his authority. And he allows us to partake of it as his people. So Lord God, I thank you for that today. And Lord, this message, it doesn't stir pride within us, but rather it stirs humility, Lord God, because it reminds us of what you have done. It reminds us of the lengths that you went to to to, to purchase back that which was lost, to redeem us and to make us a force on this earth to do the things that you have done. So God, I just pray today that as we allow these truths to settle into our hearts and our minds, that as we turn to you in prayer, Lord God, we'd be reminded of who you are. That the way that we pray, Lord God, wouldn't, wouldn't be rooted in what we can uh, muster up or create, but rather it would be rooted in your power and in your authority. And because of that, Lord, we experience a power in prayer that can only come from you. So, Lord, I thank you for it. Just pray, Lord God, that we would, we would leave here today on mission, Lord. May we recognize that the, you know, the days are, are growing short and your return, it is going to happen. And until then, Lord God, we've been, we've been called to do what you do. So, Lord God, whether it be today, tomorrow, sometime next week, Lord God, Lord, open the door and create the opportunity for us to do what you have done. The world might know that you are alive and active. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just need to close with a question. That question is this. You're here today and you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Here's the reality of what that means. It means that You are not in God's family, but rather you are under the one who usurped God's authority and, 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 and has done everything that he could to contest God's plan. The scriptures say we can't serve light and darkness. There's no middle ground. And the moment of transfer happens when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You go from belonging to darkness to being transferred to God's family. And if you're here today and you would just say, I haven't made that decision, but I want today to be the day where I know Jesus and I see the open deed of my life have written upon it, I now belong to Him. I just want you to raise a hand and we're gonna, I want to pray a prayer 
I see that hand. Anybody else? I'm just going to give a moment. Anybody else? Just say, I need to belong to Jesus. Know him as Lord. Know the forgiveness of my sins. And give my life to him that I would follow him all the days of my life. Anyone else? Pray a prayer together that just establishes faith. And for some of you, you're, you're reaffirming a commitment that has already been made. Would you just repeat after me, Oh God, I'm a sinner, but I'm willing to turn from my sin. But I need your help. I receive Christ by faith. I want him to be the Lord from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you, God, that when when we turn to you and make you Lord, that faith that fills our hearts and lives and we go from from being uh, orphans to adopted into your family. So God, your word says the heavens rejoice. We thank you for the rejoicing that's happening today. Lord God, not only because of what's going on here at Rock Church today, but around our community and world. And Lord, we pray that as we leave this place and as we endeavor to serve you, that you would help us, you would lead us. May we not be quick to forget how you have redeemed us. And may we be in, intentional in stewarding, Lord God, the things that you have left for us to do. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been great to worship with you today. Go in the grace and the peace of our God. Encourage one another on the way out. And we'll look forward to uh, worshiping with you again very soon. God bless. Thanks again for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. Our service times are on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. with discipleship groups meeting before the service at 9 o'clock. God bless you.